are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. If you have a Bible, open please to Matthew chapter 7. I share with you two verses in connection with a song Dr. Rice wrote, Asking, Seeking, Knocking. Two verses. It simply says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I wish tonight I could stress the importance of prayer. I don't think I can. I'll try. But I don't think I can. Prayer is the first duty of the Christian church. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I exhort that first of all, prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, be made for all men, for kings, and so on, and especially those in authority. Now notice the language of the text. I exhort that first of all, not second, not third, not fourth. Before you do anything else, pray, he said. A.J. Gordon said, there's more you can do after you pray, but there's nothing more you can do until you pray. I think he's right. Joe Henry Hankins, that weeping evangelist who died a few years back, said the early church had one solution to all their problems. Prayer. And you read through the book of Acts, you find he was right about it. Every time they got in trouble, they had another prayer meeting. Somebody said the prayers went up and the power came down. And the people went out and the prospects came in and the preaching went on. And the persecution came. And the prayers went up and the power came down and the people went out and the prospects came in. The preaching went on and the persecution came. If you read the book of Acts, that's just about the story all the way through. J.H. George said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. My beloved predecessor, Dr. John R. Rice, said, All your failures are prayer failures. I was sitting in the auditorium of Howland Park Baptist Church, the old building, when he said that. In my mind, I, I asked the question, You mean all my failures are prayer failures? And almost as if he heard what I was thinking, Dr. Rice said, Yes, all your failures are prayer failures. I thought my failures are husband. My failure as a father, my failure as a pastor, my, my failure as a Christian is prayer failures. Dr. I said, yes. Then he quoted James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. What a terrible accusation against Christians. I can, imagine, I can imagine arriving in heaven and God has this big room with all these packages. Some are wrapped in red and some in blue and some in green and various colors. And I say, Lord, what are all these packages? God says, well, if you must know, that big red package is something I wanted you to have one Monday. You remember that Monday? Yeah, I do, Lord. Well, I had that for you that Monday, and I was ready to give it to you, but you never did ask me for it. You have not because you... And the text says, for everyone that asketh does what? Receiveth. Strange how much we miss just for not asking. Dr. Rice said, an old, said I had an old jalopy automobile. The thing wouldn't run. He said I had to push it off most mornings to get it started. 
I rolled it down the hill. The old thing wouldn't start. And he said, I fell and skinned my leg and tore my pants leg. And I got up and cried and said, Dear God, I'm trying to serve you. It looks like you'd give me a new automobile. He said, I forgot my prayer to the next Sunday morning. Little country church, I finished the sermon. The pastor said, Dr. Rice, the deacons and I have something I want to show you. They took me out behind the church, and there sat a brand-new four-door Chevrolet sedan. And the preacher reached in his pocket and pulled out a key and said, Dr. Rice, we thought you'd been driving that old jalopy long enough, so we bought you a brand-new car. It's all yours. And gave him the key. Dr. Rice said I couldn't enjoy driving the new car for thinking how long I'd been driving the old car. <laughs> when I could have had the new one a long time ago, he said. You have not because you, for everyone that does what? Yeah, but we try to make it more complicated than that. Dr. Rice was a stickler about prayer. He wrote a whole book, has 21 chapters in it, entitled Prayer, Asking and Receiving. But I run across some so-called scholars that said Dr. Rice wasn't very smart. He wasn't a scholar. He didn't really know. So I did what the scholars said about prayers compared to what Dr. Rice said about it. And the scholars said prayers, adoration and praise and thanksgiving and confession and supplication and on and on and on. Give out a sevenfold definition to prayer. Then I read the Bible to see if the scholars were right or Dr. Rice was right. And the Bible says you have not because you... And everyone that does what? Well, Dr. Rice must have been right about it. And prayer must be what? And answered prayer must be what? You're getting kind of quiet on me. I didn't write it. I just preached it. But most more verses, John 14, 14 says, If you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have you, the word's ask. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, that's the word, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. We go through life without things we need and without things God wants us to have because God has designed that he gives it to people who ask for it. Shocking what you can get for asking. Amazing. I was driving home from Bobby Robinson's church. I'd been with Brother Bill Burr. And I was driving back through the mountains. I got over around Knoxville, Tennessee in the middle of the night on Tuesday night. And suddenly I realized that I was out of gas. I looked down and a little E was flashing. That made me realize that I was out of gas. Middle of the night, and it was one of those times I didn't have a dime in my pocket, not one red penny. And I just said, Lord, I need $10 at least for gasoline. And I need to find a station open too before I run out. The next exit, the station's open. I turned in. Then I began to wonder, where in the world I get $10? And I thought, and I thought, then it occurred to me that I had got subscriptions to the sword of the Lord in that meeting. And I said, if you're here and don't have the change to put $7 in the envelope, put in a $10 bill, we'll give you 18 months for $10. So I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll go through these envelopes. I'll find somebody that wrote $10 on the outside. I'll open the envelope, get the $10 out, get my gasoline, and cash your check in the morning, put the $10 back in the envelope. That'll settle that. Big stack of envelopes. I go through all these envelopes. And way down here, I find one that says $10. Now, it's got to be cash. It can't be a check made out to the sword of the Lord. So I'm an old mailman. I know how to tell where there's money in it or not. So I found one that had $10 cash in it. You won't believe this, but I opened that envelope way over in the middle of the night over in Knoxville, Tennessee. I opened that envelope and sure enough, the $10 bill in it. 
But to my surprise, there's a little white envelope inside the sword envelope with my name on it. And opened up that little white envelope, had a little note, said, Dr. Hudson, thank you for all you're doing. And there was a $10 bill inside that other envelope. And I couldn't enjoy the $10 bill for thinking how much money the sword of the Lord has been keeping from me all these years. I've turned in thousands and thousands and thousands of envelopes. They never have given me any money from any of them. You're going to make me believe that in all the years I've been there, in 11 years I've been at the sword, only one person ever put another envelope in it with $10 in it? I'm sitting there thinking, how much of my money have they been keeping? The next day I go down to the basement and Bobby Byers there. I said, Bobby, how much of my money y'all been keeping? None of it. I said, don't tell me, Bobby. One envelope out of thousands is the only one that had any money in it for me? He said, that's all. Isn't it strange? The only envelope that ever had another little envelope in it with $10 was the night I prayed for $10 worth of gas. And now I'm wondering why I didn't pray for a whole tank full. You have not caused you for everyone that does what? And you know what God says? I want you to do something. He said, don't just ask for little stuff. In Psalm 81, 10, he said, I'm the Lord thy God, which brought thee up out of the land of Israel. Open thy mouth wide. Now fill it. Ten dollars worth, Lord. Ten dollars worth. I'm still mad about it. When I went to evangelism, I preached in Alabama. After the service, the man stood around, he and his wife, and said, I want to see you after the service. I said, okay. Everybody walked away, and we went to the pastor's office and sat in. He said, I heard you preach first and told where it was. He said, I never let a soul to Christ that I heard you preach. Then he said, I went out and began to win people to Christ. I've sold all my businesses, and all I do now is win souls to Christ. He said, I said to my wife, if that boy ever needs anything, I'm going to help him. He said, you need anything. Don't ever ask a preacher that. He'll think up something. When he said, you need anything, I began to think. That's why I had an advanced man. I was about to hire John Reynolds. And I said, well, I'd like to have an advanced man to go ahead of me in my meetings and visit pastors and set up the meetings, and I, I'd like to have enough money in the bank to at least pay his salary for a year, a few years ago. And I said, I don't mind living by faith for myself, but I don't live by faith for another man and his family. He said, well, how much are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking if I had $20,000, I'd hire him tomorrow. He said to his wife, I'd him out a check for $20,000. I was really excited about that $20,000 check until I learned that he made his first million in 1961. $20,000. Here I was telling folks, open their mouth wide, out $20,000. He's given thousands and thousands and thousands away. He's given, I guess, a million away since then. But I got $20,000. If I had that do over again, he said, you need anything? I said, yeah, yeah. I need a, a million dollars, at least a million. You have not caused you for everyone that does what? Receives. Oh, Dr. Rice must be right. Then prayer must be asking and answer prayer must be receiving. Dr. Rice was a stickler about prayer. He didn't want you fooling with him in prayer. Don't get mad. But Dr. Rice did not want any organ music playing while he prayed. I was in a big conference with him, and he started to pray. 
How many have heard Dr. Rice preach? Anybody heard Dr. Rice preach? His muscles in his eyes were paralyzed. He could not move his eyes from side to side, so when he'd preach, he'd do like this. He had to turn his whole head to turn his eyes, so he'd do like this. He'd have a hard time in this crowd here. He'd, he'd twist his neck off before he finished in here. He'd do like that and wave back around. Yeah, you. And Dr. Rice began to pray for the meeting, and the lady started playing the organ. And Dr. Rice stopped. He said, pardon me, sister. He said, are you going to give a concert or am I going to pray? She said, Dr. Rice, you're going to pray. Well, he said, if you don't mind, would you hold your concert till I finish my prayer? Now, I know what you think. Oh, the old man was a stickler. He shouldn't have done that. Well, let's see. Prayer is what now? And the answer to prayer is what? And you have not because you what? Ask not. And everyone does what? Does what? All right. Now, wait a minute. When we ask, we ask our what in heaven? Well, we've got a good crowd here tonight. Our what in heaven? Okay, now I ask my Father for things, right or wrong. And I don't have it because I don't ask for it. And I don't get much because I don't open my mouth wide enough. I get $10. I'm still mad about that. Lord, I pray to my Father. Okay, if I'm going to ask my earthly Father for something, I go over to North Carolina. He lives in North Carolina, so I'm going to take me a good organist. Because I want to get $100 from Daddy. You better have a good organist. You get anything from Daddy. If he gives you anything, he lectures to you. So long as you give it back to him and give him some money to the boot to get him to hush. You had one like that, too. So I take an organist to North Carolina with me, and I, I get ready to ask Daddy for $100. So I, I say to the organist, start playing some real sad music now. If you can make some real sad music so Daddy will cry, I think you'll give me the $100. So she starts playing some real sad music. And I start praying like most preachers pray on Sunday morning. Thou Archie Milton Hudson, who was born 81 years ago in Elko, South Carolina. Thou who didst marry Ethel Marie Bishop and had five children, of which I'm the second son. Thou whose hair is falling out until it looks like thy neck is blowing a bubble. By the time I got along that far, he'd say, Curtis, what are you doing? I said, I'm asking for $100. Well, he said, it don't sound like it to me. You told me how old I was and who I married and how much hair I got and all that kind of... I know all that stuff, but you told me that. If you want $100, why don't you ask for $100? What's that music out there? Well, I said, that's the best organist in Florida. They're playing, so I'm getting $100. Thought it softened your heart up. You're getting quiet on me. When I bend my ear, say amen. I forgot to tell you that, too. I don't do this because it's a nervous habit. It's because I want you to say amen. If you don't cooperate, my ear will look like a mud flap on a tractor-trailer truck by Friday. So help me, please. If Peter had prayed like you pray on Sunday morning, he wouldn't have lived very long. He's walking on the sea. He starts to sink. He says, Lord God, let's get an organist out here quick. A good one. Get Kurt Davis. We need Kurt Davis. Maybe Kurt could play deeper, deeper, deeper. And Peter prayed like you pray. I most holy and righteous God, who did this create this sea into which I'm sinking? Thou who didst know how many drops of water is underneath my feet and how far it is to the bottom? And blub, 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 and dead's the doornail. 
Dead as the door nail because he's trying to impress somebody. No, when he prayed, he said, Lord, save me. That's all he did. And God saved him. We're not serious about prayer. Dr. Rice called on a man to pray in a meeting, and, and the man quoted about 50 or 60 Bible verses and gave the reference. And when he finished, Dr. Rice said, I notice you quote a lot of Bible verses when you pray. And the proud preacher said, that's right, Dr. Rice, I always do. And Dr. Rice said, I noticed that you gave the Scripture references so God could look it up and find it in his Bible up in heaven, too. And the embarrassed preacher said, I gave the Scripture references for the people. And Dr. Rice said, that's what was wrong with your prayer. He said, you wasn't talking to God at all, you was talking to the people. He said, it was a bunch of rigmarole. And I said, Lord, I'm glad he didn't ask me to pray. But he's right about it. He was like the little girl last Christmas praying. Oh, God, give me a new doll and a new dollhouse and a tea set. And she was screaming so loud. Her mother said, quit yelling so loud. God's not hard of hearing. And she said, I know it, but grandmother is. She wasn't talking to God at all. She was talking to her grandmother. You want to hear some real serious praying, don't go to church. You want to hear some real, real serious, sure enough praying, don't go to revival meetings. Stop at the next accident on the highway where a little baby's arm's cut off and it's bleeding to death. And you'll hear some real praying now. You won't hear none of this, our most holy and righteous God who did is create the heavens and the earth and the birds that fly around, the beautiful butterflies and the moths, and yank it, yank, yank. You won't hear that stuff. You hear some mother praying like this, please, God, don't let the baby die. Please, God, don't let the baby die. Please, God, don't let the baby die. Please, God, you can make the blood clot if you wanted to. Please, God, you can do it. You can do anything, God. Please don't let the baby die. Let the ambulance get here. And she's not embarrassed to pray like that. She wants to get a prayer answered. Fred Brown said the average Christian probably prays only three or four times in his lifetime. And I heard him say that. I think I know what he meant, though he never explained it. He means real, serious, getting down to business, praying when the baby's under a truck, truck fell on the baby, mashing his life out. Or your wife, only 30 years old, just been diagnosed with cancer. You won't hear no rigmarole and junk going on there. I'm afraid too much prayer is aimed at the ear of the congregation, not the ear of God. We need to get serious about praying. God still answers prayer. You have not caused you. For everyone that receive it. Isn't, aren't we a strange bunch of people? God said, all right, I got all these things I want to give you. And open your mouth wide. And ask the big things. You can't ask for too much now to hold it. Ephesians 3.20 says, Unto him that's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask. Does that blow your mind? He not only can do all we ask, He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask. If we all started asking tonight, He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask put together. 
And we say, Lord, give us another dollar and a half in the offering. Give us 20 more cents. During the days of depression, evangelists had a revival meeting. They gave him an offering. It wasn't a big offering. So he stopped at the grocery store on the way home. He decided not to spend all the money, so he just got a loaf of bread and a jar of mustard and a pound of bologna. When he started out the door, the lady said to him, No, you're not going to pay me for that. He said, God told me to give you whatever you bought tonight. He said, I could have owned the whole stinking grocery store. A loaf of bread and a pound of bologna, a jar of mustard all I had. But he didn't learn his lesson. He stopped at the service station back when gas was cheap and said, put in 50 cents worth. He went to stick his half dollar out the window of the station attendant. He said, no, brother. He said, God spoke to my heart when you drove up to the pump. I want to give you what you bought tonight. He said, I had a pound of bologna and a loaf of bread and a jar of mustard and 50 cents worth of gas. Could have owned the whole grocery store and the entire service station. You have not, cause you, for everyone that does what? Receive. And open your mouth how? Wide. Now fill it. I came home. My wife and me at the airport. I don't fly much. I drive most of the time now. Somebody said, are you scared of flying? I said, no, I'm scared of crashing. One guy said, it's not your time to go. You're not going to die. You may as well fly. When your number comes up, you're going out anyway. You may as well fly. And that sounded encouraging. I got to think about, what if I get up in that plane, that pilot's number comes up, what will I do? <laughs> go out on the wrong number, that's what will happen. I want my number, not somebody else's number. And I'm going to check it when I get it and make sure it's mine. I'm not anxious to die. I hear a lot of folks talking about, oh, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to die. But every time they sneeze, they run to the doctor. I'm going to live long as I can. I'm trying to live to be 100 years old. If I die from 100, it'll shock me so bad it'll take my breath. Where was I? Somewhere. Oh, airport. My wife met me smiling, and I had my briefcase in my hand. And then she called Tony and Tracy, my son, daughter-in-law around. They had come to visit us. They lived there now, but they'd come to visit us. And surprised me, and I was glad to see them. And she said, now let me have your briefcase, and you and Tony go get the luggage. I said, no, honey, I'll hold my briefcase. I said, my life is in that briefcase. I said, I got two or three hours dictation in there, letters I've answered. I said, they sword envelopes in there for the subscriptions I got in a meeting in Miami and one in Dallas. And I said, they sword book money where I sold sword books all in that briefcase. I said, I'll hold the briefcase. I don't even check it. I just, I never lay it down. She said, Curtis, I'm not a child. I'm an adult. I can watch the briefcase. And she insisted on holding my briefcase. So Tony and I went and got the other luggage. We went to the car, got in the car, went home 30 miles from Nashville. Time to go to bed. We talked about midnight, and we all start down the hall to go to bed. About halfway down the hall, my wife said, ah! And I thought, oh, my Lord, what in the world's wrong? I said, what is it? She said, your briefcase. I said, what about my briefcase? She said, it's at the airport. I said, no, uh-uh. Uh-uh. You're a grown woman. You're not a child. 
She said, I'm not trying to be funny. I left it at the back. I said, no, 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 you're a grown woman. You don't leave briefcases. I felt like I died on the inside. I was trying to figure out how I'm going to write all those. How can I write, folks? I don't have the addresses. Those folks that subscribe to the sword don't get it or think I took their money out. Coming across from North Carolina one night over at the service station. I said, Jerry, you've ruined me for life. I'm ruined. I just have to quit preaching. I'm ruined. I said, hundreds of subscriptions. I don't know who they are. A thousand dollars a soul more for book money. I don't, I, how can I tell Dr. Byers? My wife lost my briefcase. She said, well, I'll call him. I said, you don't need to call the airport. We've been gone four hours. If you left that, uh, that briefcase laying there where you and Tracy were sitting, some dope addicts found it by now. He's high as a kite on sword money. Four hours, Jerry? It's not there. She said, I'll call. I said, you don't need to call him. I'll go up there. If it's there, I'll get it. If it's not there, it won't be there. Tony said, I'll go with you. We started the expressway, got nearly to the airport. Tony said, Daddy, are you going to pray about it? I didn't want to pray about it. It wasn't there. It can't be there to four hours in an airport. Somebody's got it. It's gone. With that kind of money in it, it's gone. Most of those envelopes had money in it, it's gone. I said, Tony, no need to pray for it. Well, he said, you ought to pray, maybe. Well, I tried to set him up, you know, so he wouldn't be too disappointed when it wasn't there. So I said, well, Tony, I'll pray, but it won't be there. I said, son, that's like driving around a curve 100 miles an hour and praying you won't turn over. Or putting a 30 pistol in your head and pulling the trigger and praying you won't get a headache. I mean, I mean, you lay a briefcase down the airport and pray it won't be there four hours later. I mean, forget it. It's, it's gone. Well, he said, you ought to pray. I said, you pray. He said, I'm not going to pray. So I began to pray. I wasn't very serious about my prayer. I wasn't very fervent. I didn't have an organist. I didn't even bow my head and close my eyes. I just said, Lord, that ain't my money in that briefcase. That's your money. And you're big enough to take care of your property. I said, I can get another briefcase. That's your money. That's not my money. Unless somebody put $10 on one of those sword envelopes for me. That's not my money. That's your money, Lord. I said, would you really like to see dope addicts steal that briefcase and get high on dope and all those folks that subscribe for the sword mime and Dallas not get their subscription? If that's what you want to do, then let some dope addict have it. It's your business. The more I prayed, the better I felt about it. I got kind of bold about it. I, I began to swell up a little bit about it. I said, hey. I said, you're big enough to put some angels around that briefcase and guard till I get there. We pulled up, and I jumped out of the car and ran up to the level where the briefcase was left and started to pass by a policeman, and he grabbed me. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get my briefcase. He says, is that your brown briefcase? I said, yes, it is. Did you leave it? I said, no, my wife left it. I said, she's a grown woman. She ain't no kid. She's a grown woman. 
He said, what's in it? I said, is the Bible in it? There's a dictaphone in it, a Lanier dictaphone. Several little cassette tapes. There's a little stack of envelopes like that, sold subscriptions to, to a religious paper. There's money in it, I said. How much? I said, I don't know. I don't count. Let's put it in there. It's from book sales. He said, come go with me. I went over there. There's three policemen guarding the briefcase. <laughs> waiting for the bomb squad to check it out. And the bomb got it. Opened up in front of all of them. I couldn't believe that briefcase still there. And the policeman sat there looking at it. I wanted to have an old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist slobbering running fit. I wanted to shout, Hallelujah, what a God. You have not cause you. For everyone that does what? Receives. Oh, but you got to get serious about asking. Down in Georgia, my mother fixes a good old country breakfast, soft scrambled eggs. You know what the hen said, which is all first scrambled eggs, don't you? Look at those crazy mixed up kids. <laughs> my mama fixes a big platter. I, that just came up and came out. I didn't plan to say that. <laughs> big platter, soft scrambled eggs, and grits. No instant grits, but grits cook real slow and boil it and pop it until each grit just swells as big as it can swell. And country ham and red-eye gravy. You get a drop of that red-eye gravy on your head, your tongue will slap your brains out trying to get it off. And a big jar of homemade blackberry jam and great old big hot biscuits and buttered. And I'm hungry enough to eat a wolf. And my daddy's sitting down at the other end of the table. I'm on this end of the table and I want a biscuit. So I say, sister, go play the organ real soft. I'm going to ask daddy for a biscuit. She starts playing the organ real soft and I start asking daddy for a biscuit. The Archie Milton Hudson, who is sitting at the north end of the table, who worked 60 hours last week, made $70.28, out of which you gave your wife, Marie, $20, and she went and got groceries, among which was some buttermilk and some powder and some uh, bacon powder and some flour and so-and-so uh, and so-and-so. And, and, and she worked it all together this morning in a little dough tray and rolled it out in little bitty balls and cut it off with her fingers like that and knitted it and put it on a little tray and put it in the oven and turned the oven on. It got so many degrees. By this time, all the biscuits gone. They done left the table. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, I'm a member of the family. I just pull my chair up to the table and say, Pass the biscuits, Papa. If you'd have heard Billy Sunday praying, you'd have thought he was irreverent. When Billy Sunday prayed, said, Lord, we're going over to that city, hold a revival meeting. I want you to say the mayor, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, he said, Ma, that's what he called his wife. I said, Ma, what's that mayor's name? And she said, So and so. I said, That's right, Lord, Mr. So and so. That's the way he prayed. Yeah. You have not cause you for everyone that does what? And open your mouth, Al. What? 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 Now fill it. 
shock of what you get for asking. Dr. Rice started meetings for ladies called Women's Jubilees several years ago. And every one of these Jubilees where nothing but ladies attend, Dr. Rice would preach a little sermon on Hannah and say, Now, Hannah didn't have a baby. And she prayed and said, Lord, if you'll give me a baby, I'll give him back to you. And God answered her prayer. So Dr. Rice would preach a little sermon on Hannah. Then he said, Now, how many ladies are here? You and your wife, you and your husband agree that you want children. But so far, God hasn't given you children. If you'll stand, I pray that God will give you children. And ladies stood, and Dr. Rice prayed for them all over America. And we have hundreds of letters at the sword office, I suppose, from ladies who wrote to say that you prayed me I have two children. I prayed me I have three children. I was in Virginia, and a little lady came up to me and said, I was in one of Dr. Rice's last jubilees. And said, I stood that he had prayed that I'd have a baby and reckon how many I have. I said, I don't know. She said six and another one on the way. And her husband said, is there any way we could change that prayer? (laughs) Open your mouth. Seven of them. Mouthful. The funniest sight I ever saw was at Rymer Road Baptist Church in Wadsworth, Ohio. The last women's jubilee Dr. Rice was ever in. He had to be pushed to the platform in a little wheelchair, and he stood, and he preached a little sermon on Hannah. And when he finished, he meant to say, Now, if you're here, and you and your husband agree that you want children, but so far you don't have any children, if you'll stand out, praise for you, then God will give you children. But he didn't make his invitation clear. He said, Let's all stand for prayer. And 800 unsuspecting ladies stood. And Dr. Ice began to pray, Oh, God. Didn't even have an organist. He just said, Oh, God. I pray you give every one of these ladies standing a baby. I've never heard so many sighs and groans in my life. I heard ladies say, I heard one lady say, Oh, God, I misunderstood the invitation. I don't need no more babies. Please, God, I misunderstood the invitation. And one lady in a wheelchair, her face turned white. And she turned it around and rolled out of the building. I haven't seen her since. She's gone. Scared me so bad, I sat down. I was afraid I might have a baby. They were dodging Dr. Rice's prayers like dodging bullets. You have not because you... For everyone that... Does what? And open your mouth how? Wide now, Philip. In my town, there lived a man named Cameron D. Thompson. This is all introduction. I'm going to get to my two verses in a minute. He wrote a book entitled Master Secrets of Prayer, published by Back to the Bible Publishers many years ago. I read the little book. It was there. A lot of good help for me in prayer. One Sunday night, I finished my sermon for Hills Baptist Church, and someone brought a lady and three young girls down to the front, say teenagers, maybe older, and said, Doctors, I want you to meet someone. This is Mrs. Cameron B. Thompson, and these are her daughters' faith, joy, and hope. 
And I did the same thing you probably would have done. I said, where is charity? And she smiled and said, that's what they used to ask Cam. And he'd always say, if we have another one, we'll be on charity. And she told me how Cam Thompson lived by prayer. She said, Dr. and Cam would go down to Washington, Georgia to pray because that's where E.M. Bounds lived. E.M. Bounds wrote all those books on prayer. The preaching prayer, the possibilities of prayer, power in prayer. You ought to read all E.M. Bounds books on prayer. She said, Cam thought that E.M. Bounds had prayed a hole in the sky down in Washington, Georgia. He'd go down there to pray. She said, I went to the Union Station one day. That's the train station in Atlanta. And said, Cam had no money to buy a ticket. But he ordered a train ticket anyway with no money. While the lady's riding the ticket, she said another man walked to the, to the train station and saw him and stopped and began to talk to him. And while they were talking, the lady laid the ticket up and said, that'll be so many dollars. And she said, Dr. So said, Cam reached into his pocket, empty pocket, no money, to get money. Before he could get his hand to the bottom of the pocket, she said, this man with him reached over and took him with a wrist and put his hand out of the pocket and said, no, Cam, let me pay for this one. Now, don't you go to the airport <laughs> and tell him I told you to do that. If you do, I'll tell him you slept too long on one side and your brain rolled out your ear. But that's the way Cam Thompson lived. And his little daughter, Joy, heard him pray for so many things and get them. She thought she could get her prayers answered. So she saw a doll in the window one day and said, Daddy, how much is that doll? He said, $4.98. And she said, how many pennies is that? He said, 498 pennies. And she said, would you pray with me that God will give me 498 pennies? And he said, yes, and they prayed. And Cam forgot the prayer until a few days later. Someone knocked on the front door of the Thompson residence. When Mrs. Thompson opened the door, there stood a lady with a jug full of pennies. Said Mrs. Thompson, I've been dropping pennies in this jug for months. This morning I couldn't get any more pennies into the jug, and I prayed and asked God what I should do with them. And I thought about your daughter Joy. Would you object if I gave these pennies to Joy? And she said no. And Joy called her father, and Cam took the jug full of pennies back to Joy's bedroom, dumped it on the floor, and began to count and reckon how many pennies was in that jug. Not 499, not 500, not 501, not 496, not 497. 498 pennies to the penny. You have not cause you. For everyone that does what? Yeah. Shocking what you can get for asking. About hours, I'll tell you more stories I can't tell you anymore. Look at the text quick. Ask and it shall be given. You look at verse 8. For everyone that asketh, receive it. Now that is either the Bible, that is either true or, it, or either it's not true. How many think that's the Word of God and that it's true? Raise your hand up real high. You think it's true. Well, look at it again. How many? Everyone. That Does that mean me? Does that mean Brother Burr? Does that mean John Reynolds? I mean David Janney? What does it say for How many? Does that mean you? For everyone that does what? Does what? Now we've got a problem. How many of you ever asked for something and didn't get it? Now don't lie about it. God's looking at you. How many ever asked God for something and didn't get it? I'll be the first to raise my hand. We all have. But what's wrong with this verse? Nothing wrong with the verse. The problem with our understanding of the verse 
It doesn't mean if you ask one time. The word asketh is in the continual sense. It means if you ask and keep asking 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 and keep asking, you will receive. In Luke 11, verse 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in the next 13 verses, Jesus gave them a lesson on prayer. And here's the lesson. First, he gave them what we call the pattern prayer, our Father which art in heaven. And then he gave this story. He said a man had a man, a friend, come to him on a journey. He had no bread or nothing to feed him. So he went to his friend down the road and knocked on the friend's door and said, Lend me three loaves. And the man inside said, It's late. We're tired. We're in bed. Forget it. Go home. But he said he knocked again and begged for the three loaves. said, the man said, it's late. Don't bother with us. Leave us alone. But the man kept knocking. He said, I told you, leave me alone. And finally, the guy on the inside, the Bible says, arose and gave him the three loaves. Not because he was his friend, but because of his importunity. He wouldn't quit asking. That's the lesson the Lord gave on prayer when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Don't you think that might be a pretty good lesson then if that's one he gave? Don't you think it would be better than anybody's book on the subject? What's he saying? He's saying if you keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking, you will receive. Now listen carefully. I'll quit. I'm not through. I'll quit. I'll never finish anymore. Dr. Rice says, if you ask for something and keep asking for it and keep asking for it, one of two things will happen. God will either give you what you ask for or you'll change your prayer. Help me. Right, three times. That he had to move the thorn from the flesh. Can you hear him praying? Lord, I got this thorn in the flesh. Now, Lord, if you'll heal me, I can be a better preacher and serve you better. Now, Lord, heal me and, and I'll do a better job for you. But God didn't heal him. But Paul, you if you keep on asking, you receive. Lord, it's me again. I still got this thorn. Lord, heal me and I can serve you better. But God didn't hear him, didn't answer him. But Paul knew if you kept on asking, you receive. So he said, hey, I got this thorn in my flesh. Lord, if you'll heal me, I can serve you better. And God saw that Paul was not going to change his prayer. And so God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That weak area you want me to heal you of, my strength is perfected through that weak area. And it's as if Paul said, Lord, I didn't know that. If you don't mind, Lord, I'll change my prayer. He never prayed the fourth time for God to remove the thorn, but began to pray, Most glad that I fall out glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you are serious about getting things from God, learn to what Dr. Rice says, pray through, which means keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And don't give up till God either gives it to you or changes your prayer. You have not cause you. For everyone that asks you, open your mouth and I'll fill it. It's like God piled all these things up and said, anybody need anything, come get it. And don't be afraid to ask for too much, Bill. Open your mouth wide. Get it real wide. Ask for all you want. Because you can't ask any more than I can give. I can do it exceedingly abundantly with all you can ask or even think. So don't worry about how much you ask for. Open your mouth wide. And nobody comes and asks for anything. And God says, I can't believe that crowd. They won't ask for nothing after I made it all available. They just ask, and I'll give it to you. And you don't have it because you don't ask. So God made prayer a command. 
Aren't we funny people that have to be commanded to ask for things we need? Not, he didn't just invite us. It's like the city of Orlando suddenly were to strike some kind of a rich mineral underneath the earth down here and had more money than they could ever spend decided to give it to all the citizens. said, any citizen of Orlando come get what you want. And nobody wouldn't ask for anything. And finally, the city fathers got together and made it a law and said it's against the law not to ask for anything. So God makes it against the law not to ask for anything because Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me. That's a command. We're strange birds, aren't we? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's stand together, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust. 